the life and death of Phaeton explains a lot of what is contained in these books, Kazantz had said on that first day we got together. He had surrounded himself with a large number of volumes, mostly in Russian, and almost all were scholarly translations of ancient literature, preserved legends, mythology, paleontology, and the like. But we won't waste our time on that. He dismissed them pleasantly. Writers like Eric von Daniken have already dwelt on visitors from outer space and on what apparently they left behind for future generations of Earthlings to ponder over. What these writers fail to consider is that some of these space visitors came from Phaeton. I am certain of this. They did not come of their own free will. They had not come to our Earth to colonize a planet which, they knew from earlier explorations, was a primitive and forbidding place, still in an early stage of development. They came because they had nowhere to go. Ziegel didn't want us to use a tape recorder, nor did he like the idea of her taking notes. The ascetic face of a true scientist registered wonderment. Can't you memorize? He asked almost reproachfully. We can, we reassured him. This, then, is what he said, reproduced to the best of two reporters' abilities. Fate, quote, Phaeton disintegrated as a, as a result of a chain of explosions originating on its surface. Had this destruction been a volcanic origin, the planet breaking up from within, the debris would have been hurled in all directions, eventually settling down into an elliptic orbit around the sun. Another possibility, collision in space. Collisions that can cause destruction of a planet the size of Earth are most improbable, yet they must not be ruled out. What matters, though, is that a collision, head-on or even at an angle, would have thrust the debris into yet another oblong orbit, one even longer than the one caused by a volcanic explosion from within. On the other hand, the planet breaking up from without, through its crust, would have caused the resulting debris to remain on a near-circular path. Any astronomer will tell you that the asteroid belt has an orbit that is nearly circular, that in this respect it is remarkably similar to that of our Earth, or, for that matter, of those of the other planets in our solar system. In other words, it is the orbit of the missing planet. It had to be a surface force, applied laterally, that caused the destruction of Phaeton. The tectikes found in the Karakum Desert, Siegel explained, have provided a precious clue by reminding us of the glass-like slag found at the source of our own nuclear explosions conducted on the ground. Tektites have been created in laboratory tests. More recently, tektites were found after firings of the Soviet Tokomak-10, a thermonuclear furnace which, while still experimental, is the largest in the world. The temperatures under which these Earth-originated tektites were produced were well above 100 million degrees. The comparison with tektites of space origin left no doubt whatsoever as to their thermonuclear origin. Quote, is, it, it was important for us to prove this, since our opponents have theorized that tektites are a bribe product of meteorites slicing their way through the atmosphere and coming down to Earth with such velocity as to generate such temperatures on impact. We now know that at no time has the temperature at impact of a meteorite exceeded 200,000 degrees centigrade. He paused for emphasis. We have tried to create tektites artificially using that temperature. The resulting tektites are completely different from those occurring naturally. What appears probable, then, is that it was a thermonuclear explosion, because nothing short of that would have produced so disastrous an effect, and if we accept this as what actually happened, we can also logically assume the entire course of events. First, the original thermonuclear explosion. Second, a thermonuclear chain reaction involving other sources of thermonuclear power. Third, the oceans exploding, and with that, the crust of the planet cracks wide open. The possibility that oceans may explode has long ceased to be a fantasy of science fiction writers. Atomic scientists have readily admitted that at a temperature of hundreds of millions of degrees, water turns into thermonuclear fuel such as powers a hydrogen bomb. Ziegel continued, We can assume, therefore, that with its shell destroyed, the planet went on dis disintegrating until nothing but rubble remained.
Conclusions. The chain reaction on Phaeton was triggered. Having been triggered, it could not be stopped from spreading. The triggering force was man-humanoid. There is no other explanation. Man of the species inhabiting Phaeton and belonging to an advanced civilization had thus caused his own destruction, probably in the course of a thermonuclear war. Even though mishaps must not be totally ruled out, I do not believe that it was a technological accident. Um, so, you know, I mean... Uh, he says that uh, someday when our cosmonauts reach out into space, traveling to Mars and beyond, they will be able to investigate the asteroid belt at close quarters for traces of intelligent life on Phaeton. The larger asteroids, such as Ceres, Pallas, and Vesta, whose diameters range from 380 kilometers to 700 kilometers, could become perfect jumping-off places for advanced investigations. It is quite possible that in space archaeological terms, the smaller asteroids, representing bits and pieces of the surface of Phaeton, will prove more important. At any rate, our cosmonauts and your astronauts will know what to look for. One day, they'll come back with the first archaeological finds that will tell us about a missing civilization. After that, our study of Phaeton will start in earnest. Um, so, it, it's in, it's almost like it's it actually sounds very similar to like the theory of Atlantis. Uh, yeah, or uh, Krypton. <laughs> It sounds a lot like. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yes. Interesting. Um, Yeah. But I guess, you know, Atlantis is also like a uh, prefiguration of that. I mean, I guess early astronomers, uh, I'm trying to think, was it Kepler or was it Copernicus? It was uh, Copernicus uh, discovered heliocentrism. Yeah, Kepler had said uh, that there was too large of a gap between uh, Jupiter and Mars, and that there yeah. must be a planet there. Yeah, that's actually. Uh, but I, guess uh, what I, he I think was it, it was it was actually quoted in the book. It's called the the Tidius Bode Law or Bode's Law is basically mm-hmm. about the spacing the, yeah, of planets. Brahe, and there, there's and according to the formula, which um, the formula ends up basically counting like zero three six and then from six the number doubles every time and so mm. basically i think the number 24 so they he they came up with this formula and then throughout the 20th century i think he he yeah, was like 17 uh it was in the 1700s when um the 1770s i believe when he kind of came up with this but then in the 20th century they were able to verify it it was like pretty accurate i mean not perfectly but like so you know if zero is the sun actually i think zero is uh is mercury three is venus six is earth 12 is mars and then 24 is missing and jupiter is about 48 in this formula and there's just no 24 so that that was a um it's something that's brought up in the book as a very intriguing clue as to like well yeah, like, was there a planet there? And, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think that even, like, you know, the conventional theory, like, the conventional theory of the asteroid belt, like, today, is that, like, the planet-creating process at least began, and then it didn't, like, quite come together because of, like, the, you know, the gravity situation with Jupiter or something. Yes, that's a, yeah. Yeah, um... I guess, like, uh, yeah, I mean, could, I mean, are there enough, like, asteroids? I mean, I guess, like, some of it would just become, like, maybe space dust, like, so there'd just be, like, a bunch of dust out there, so, like, what, the asteroids still floating around wouldn't be, like, you know, you wouldn't be able to just piece them back together, 
Because I'm wondering, like, is there enough, like, you know, mass there for, like, you know, a, a sizable planet? Um, you for it to but, have been just a planet, kind of. I mean, for just to be the debris of a planet, could it populate well, that amount of asteroids? Be, well, there aren't that many asteroids in the asteroid belt. Like, you know, uh, my thing is, like, are there enough asteroids, like, even to come together, um, you know, to, to like, you know, in, in the asteroid belt? Um, I, I yeah, bet like if you that, added up all of them, because the some of them are, like, belt. almost, you know, 700 kilometers wide, and there's definitely some kind of big chunks. And, and of course, a bunch of it could have, like, flown off into space if there was some yeah, kind of explosion or something. Yeah, I guess that would have to be what it was, because, like... The total mass of the asteroid belt is like just three percent of the mass of the moon, so that's like not enough. Oh wow, like, I know, see. So yeah, it must have been ejected from orbit for the most part, except for yeah, or it must chunks. have like vaporized or something, and be, uh, or like if uh you know if there was a phaeton, um that uh that kind of blew up. But uh yeah, in terms of like the um like the idea of these sort of alien gods like coming down uh from Phaeton. There is a uh a good quote in, in the Ostrander uh book about uh from uh Zeitstep about this. So yeah, he talked about all that uh ancient alien stuff and then he says um uh some other interesting things uh about uh it says Zaitsev bolsters his gods from the sky thesis with a wide knowledge of architectural history. Early peoples, he thinks, modeled their sacred buildings after the machines of the space visitors, thereby immortalizing them. He has books full of examples. The shape of the American Gemini space capsule can be found in ancient structures. Notably, it appears in a textbook example of Judaic architecture, the tomb in the Valley of Cedron. Correspondingly, the silhouette of a classical example of a Phoenician sacred building, the tomb of Ambrites, resembles the Soviet Vostok. Halfway around the world, the Vostok shape also appears in the very early stupas carved in the Indian cave temples. Uh, Chinese pagodas, uh, like the famous Iron Pagoda near Kaifeng, uh, mm -hmm. churches, Muslim minarets, all have a skyward urge, according to Dr. Zaitsev. He points to the minarets surrounding uh, St. Sophia in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. They look like rockets ready to launch. Yep. Preserved by the messianic ecstasies of religion, these cosmic symbols inspired by our early visitors and benefactors came through into Christianity, into Russia. Look at the spires of the churches. Compare the onion-shaped cupola of the Ivan the Great Bell Tower in the Kremlin to the bell-shaped prow of the Vostok spaceship. Uh, Dr. Zaitsev took, uh, told the parapsychologist that if further research proved these theories, man would have to change his ideas about the origins of civilization and religions, uh, and our ideas of messianic beliefs. If we really were visited centuries ago, we may be on the threshold of a, quote, second coming of intelligent beings from outer space. This is blue beamy. I'm sorry. Anyway, to Zaitsev's <laughs> uh, second coming isn't just a theological illusion. He thinks Jesus came from outer space. Here we go. Again, some uh, blue beam stuff. That he was a representative of a higher civilization. This supposedly explains, in part, his supernatural powers, his tremendous abilities. In other words, the descent of God to Earth is really a cosmic occurrence, Zaitsev says. He thinks the Soviets should, in this sense, consider the coming of God a real historic event. Only Zaitsev suggests the term God might be changed to cosmonaut Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, That's amazing. Yes. It kind of uh, sums it up in a nutshell. Cosmonaut yes, Jesus it, Christ. Yes. Cosmonaut Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So you definitely can see like kind of the grappling with like religious concepts um, 
yeah and, you know and yeah. like trying to accommodate these to um you know a uh, different framework 100 um, um i yeah. i, I want to read just a little more of Ziegel kind of like making a similar argument maybe we can you know compare the two to see if they were doing coordinated disinformatia but yeah um he says about phaeton uh since we are dealing with a civilization well into the thermonuclear stage which we ourselves may not reach for another 50 years we must assume that their exploration of space was at a more advanced stage than ours is today their spaceships could roam our solar system presumably concentrating their investigation on our system's life belt or temperate zone including venus earth and mars they would have had no knowledge that uh, they would have had the knowledge these three inner planets were best suitable for life as known on uh, on phaeton I am sure they actually saw their own planet disintegrate before their very eyes, a ball in space that suddenly crumbled into thousands of pieces, its molten interiors pouring out, turning into solidified chunks that broke up again in an endless chain reaction. One thing was certain, they had no home to return to. Denied a return home, some of them at least landed on Earth while the rest perished. This explains the origin of ancient legends about gods arriving on Earth aboard fiery chariots, legends preserved and passed on by historians of antiquity, including Plutarch. Eric von Daniken, who visited me before writing his famous book, Chariots of the Gods, claims to have discovered traces of extraterrestrial visitors in many places on Earth, from the Andes to Easter Island to China. Kazantsev feels that the remarkable repository of 716 inscribed stone plates discovered by the Chinese in the Sino-Tibetan border was left behind by a tribe whose forefathers had come from outer space. According to a Chinese archaeologist who claims to have deciphered part of the message on the stone plates, the tribe died out. They were humanoids, but failed in their attempts to assimilate. However fantastic this claim sounds, let us not shrug it off, Kazantsev said solemnly. I believe that it would have been quite possible for Phaeton spaceships to land in that area. Their spaceships carried tools and weapons, and we can assume that a number of the ships managed to converge on a certain area of our primitive Earth for a concerted landing. Once they had landed, this is it, of course, the survivors of these ships could have established a colony of cave dwellers in the knowledge that this was the only way. The main question is, how well equipped were they to settle on Earth that was still inhabited by the big-bodied monsters of the pre-Homo sapiens period? How could they survive? If Zavaritsky was right, Phaeton had surface conditions very much like those of Earth today. Its air, water, its gravity were very much like ours. Thus, presumably, breeding a Homo sapiens, uh, again, very much like ourselves. They were not little three-eyed green men, nor were they giants. Aww. Aww. They could have been They could have been no taller than twice our size. Okay, so baby giants. All right, so they were uh, giants. Maybe yeah. giants. <laughs> After That's all. a generous, uh, yeah. Yeah, or like a conservative idea of what giants are. Well, this, this is uh, interesting. twice our yeah. size, you know. <laughs> This is an interesting uh, uh, theory for giants, actually, that um, they could have been no taller than twice their size. After all, we ourselves are growing taller and are at least one third taller than man was 2000 years ago. Could they fend for themselves? We can only guess that they managed somehow, but also that in the end, generations later, they perished. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if they were like 12 foot tall uh, Phaetonians uh, who came yeah, on spaceships yeah. and then dwelled in caves, uh, you know, if the shoe fits, if it, if it yeah. walks like a giant and it talks like a giant and, you know, lives in the mountainous regions of, uh, uh, yeah, they um, they don't know what the exact time of Phaeton's destruction was, but 
they quote, tend to believe that it was closer to 500,000 years ago rather than a million. This period coincided with the dawn of the Neanderthal man, not all that many years prior to the appearance of the creative Cro-Magnon man. Assuming that people from Phaeton lived a minimum of 500 to 1,000 years, as will we thousands of years from today, they bridged the gap from primitive to thinking man to perhaps help him, educate him, and leave him with the legends of gods coming down from the skies aboard fiery chariots, and the legends of atomic wars, fought, however, not on Earth, but on Phaeton. Then, even as the last of the descendants of the men from outer space died, these legends lived on. If this was so, and I believe that it was, then the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle fall into place. Finds such as the primitive rock paintings near Fergana in Soviet Uzbekistan, depicting a figure wearing typical spaceship gear, suddenly make a lot of sense. So do the clay figures of the cosmonaut gods of Honshu. The Honshu figurines date back to the period when Japan was inhabited by the Ains, a Stone Age people. Found in local graves, they feature a being very human in shape, but wearing unmistakable cosmonaut garb, helmet, spacesuit, space footwear. At second glance, you discover that the slit-goggled helmet appears to be fastened to the spacesuit in very much the way that we attach it today. There are female plugs on the sleeves below the shoulders and the back of the helmet, and a gadget box featuring more outlets, presumably for life and communication lines, and the overlong sleeves end in stubs that look like our mechanical manipulators, operated from within the sleeve rather than gloves. There is no other explanation. The creatures had to be <laughs> cosmonauts. But it is also evident that spacesuits like these could hardly sustain a trip of many light years from a planet of a different solar system. This is the gear we would use when flying to explore Mars. Hence, they had to have come from Phaeton. So, uh, I don't know. Is it kind of putting they forth some... I mean, they, they, they really do deserve credit for like being on this ancient aliens tip. They definitely were. Like All this stuff... like. It seems like they like nothing has changed. Like there haven't been any new ancient aliens breakthroughs. Like they're touching on everything. Like I remember seeing that like little spaceman figurine. Like you know, it's all yeah. And it seems like they even talked to Eric von Daniken. So yeah, uh-huh. uh, I would say definitely they deserve the credit for uh, the you know ancient alien stuff. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminaljihad.